Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Mom, thanks as always for lending out your beautiful voice to start off the podcast. Welcome everyone and back to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette and I am so delighted to have a fantastic guest on with me today. For those of you who have not heard, you will, I'm sure, shortly know that there is one person in New York City who every author is desperate to get in front of on her podcast. She's been called the literary fairy godmother of the book world, and that is Zibby Owens. But first, a word from our sponsors. Zibby's in a word nonstop. She has four children. She's in the process of creating a media empire, which I think is really the only way to describe the things that she's doing. Zibby, thank you so much for joining me today. I know how busy you are. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Well, I want to dive in at the beginning. I've had the pleasure of reading your book, Bookends, which I know was two decades in the making, but I always like to start the podcast at the beginning and talk a little bit about confidence. You are such an open book, especially on social media, and I know confidence was not one of those things that was high on the list of your childhood. Very true. (laughs) No, I was not confident. I was very shy, especially in social situations. I had so much anxiety. I just could not talk at all. I remember my mom being like, come on, just, it's okay. Just go to this dance and be yourself. And I'm like, I don't even know who that is. How am I going to do that? So no, I I was not exactly overflowing with confidence. That is for sure. In a way that became the path that you took because that's where you found books. Isn't that right? That's true. Yes. Nice segue. (laughs) I spent a lot of time reading and writing. I felt like when I wrote, all my thoughts so easily came out of my head. But when I spoke, I just was having a lot of trouble with that. It sounds crazy now because all I do all day is talk on my podcast (laughs) to people and I'm like constantly talking. And I could talk around people I was comfortable with back then, but just not in groups and certainly not with guys and parties and forget it. But yeah, I've always loved to read so much from the time I learned how to read. I've loved to read. I've loved to write. Started writing short stories at age eight. So that whole world has been such a welcoming place no matter what I'm going through. It's interesting on this podcast, I have interviewed so many incredible women and I do find that a lot of them will say that they loved reading. I just had Genevieve Roth on and she was talking to me about the fact that she lived in Alaska, but books really became how she learned about the world. I was a very, very bad sleeper as a child. I would never fall asleep. It's probably why I'm a charity auctioneer at night because I would never go to bed until about 11 o'clock at night. And my mom is British and would put us to bed at six. So that gave me a nice cushion in which to read entire books every single night by my closet light. And I know when your podcast came out when moms don't have time to read books, that name struck me in such a huge way because I am a mom who doesn't have time to read books. But I've always wanted to get back to that over the course of my life. And so I can say, and this is for later in the podcast, but certainly this was a huge impetus for me to start picking up books again. And so I thank you for that even now. Oh, you're welcome. That is the greatest part. I went to a party last summer and a woman I didn't know came running up to me and she's like, 
oh my gosh, because of you, I'm reading again. And I've read like the four greatest books ever. Thank you so much. I'm like, okay, great. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. I went to your book signing last summer and I walked out with five new books. And one of them was Zane Asher's book, which to this day is one of the most extraordinary books that I've read. And again, that's all because of you. And I feel like you're doing that for so many people. So thank you for all those little girls who started reading by their closet light and are now adults uh -oh. who get to read. It is <laughs> such a gift to be sort of cozied up on a, on a couch with a book. So talk to me a little bit about your childhood in New York, because having read bookends, I understand in living in New York, it's such an incredible peak into growing up in New York City. But I'd love to know from you, like you were a young child, you were shy, but you were living in New York City. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. My childhood was going to private school. I went to an all-girls school in my little uniform and did lots of activities after school. I played tennis and did all the things, ice skating and dance and whatever else people were doing. And we spent the summers out in East Hampton starting when it was potato fields. And that's really where I felt most at home was out there in a small town. And I feel like had I not grown up in New York, I would not necessarily be in New York resident right now. I feel like <laughs> I would probably be wherever I grew up, but it happens to be here. Um, but I do gravitate a lot to smaller communities and I would, I don't know, ride my bike and go to the local bookstore and the library. I spent a lot of time in the East Hampton library all summer and leaving with giant tote bags of books. And, um, I played a lot of sports. Um, so in high school, I was at a co-ed school in the city and played lacrosse and tennis and I don't Loved know. the athletics, certainly. Yeah. I was just like... A child know, living. A child, yeah. <laughs> you said you were shy, but did you have confidence then? Did you feel confident in who you were? No, I did not. In fact, as I'm sitting here and like looking at your beautiful book cover, claim your confidence behind you. I'm like, <laughs> this is so ironic that I'm a guest on this show. You're in the and book. Feel, I, I know. I, and in the book. I know, I know. It's crazy. I mean, I do feel very confident now, perhaps misplaced confidence. I was not confident. I was very self-conscious all the time. I struggled with my weight, although not in such a huge way, but in a way that I felt was constantly magnified, even if it was 10 pounds or something, felt like 500 pounds to me. And I was really focused on that, always sort of comparing myself, feeling not great. It's not like my parents' fault. My parents were very devoted and you know, my parents got divorced right when I started high school. So you can imagine the years leading up to that were not the most stable. Yeah. So I don't know. I was more of like a caretaker. I've always been a really old soul. Yeah. And just sort of wanted everybody to get along and took care of my brother. And But it is so interesting to me because you seem from the outside looking in very confident. And so when you see things on social media about Zibby and all of the incredible things that you're doing, to think that you're in a place now where you are, as I said earlier, launching a media empire, but that's not where you started up, I think gives hopes to so many people because I think people think that you're born with confidence in life. And I don't believe that's true. I think a lot of us find it along the way. I was not confident like eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a huge huge change for me. I got divorced and, you know, I had four kids and fell in love with my current husband, Kyle, and it's changed my life. I mean, I really put a lot of credit to him and the fact that I even sort of went through this whole experience, but he really believes in me that I can do anything and I can't fail. And I don't know why I just, whatever his sort of mojo is, it's made me feel not afraid to try things. And 
It's like he taught me how to ride the bike, and now I got like addicted to that. So now I <laughs> now you're on I, a motorcycle. I, I, he was like the training wheels. Yeah, he was the training wheels, and, um, um, which I think is the piece about confidence that we always have it inside, right? But sometimes it takes the bolstering of other people. You know, sometimes it takes the scaffold. We're all strong enough on the inside, but it just takes people surrounding us and telling us the right thing to make us believe in ourselves. I have always been confident in my writing ability. Not that I'm like some National Book Award winning person. I'm not like that kind of literary writer, but I've always felt completely confident no matter what that I could write. And whether it was expository essay at school or creative writing or whatever, I never doubted that. And that's always been something that you've come back to time and time again. And yet, as you said, it took you 20 years to actually sit down and write the book. And I remember being on your podcast with the most powerful woman in the room is you. This was sort of four years ago. And you said, just like, I, I don't know, I just can't get it done. And I remember saying, which is my catchphrase always to people who want to write books. I'm like, it's set a word count a day and just get into the habit of writing. So how did you end up writing the book? How did you end up writing bookends? I didn't have trouble necessarily writing it. I had trouble selling it. And I wrote it so many different times before it actually became bookends. I wrote a book called Off Balance after business school when I lost my best friend on 9-11. And I wrote that as a memoir. I wrote it as fiction. I wrote again called 40 Love about falling in love at 40. I ended up combining parts of both of those books, but I tried writing bookends in a funny way. And I know it's all about finding my voice. And I feel like bookends was about finding my voice, which is so meta because I also found it through writing that version of bookends. Yeah. So I just wrote a novel and it's like in my voice. And I just had my mom read it and she's like, you know, you're not going to win the Pulitzer Prize or anything. And I'm like, I'm not trying to win the Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) This is like how I write. It's like entertaining and light and sometimes funny and maybe charming and clever, but I'm not like a hardcore literary author and that's okay. Yeah. But I did try that and it didn't work as well. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, at least you tried. A lot of people, and I'm sure that many people have said this to you too, because you are in the literary world now and even before this, but I have had so many people over the course of my life, especially in the past four years since I wrote my first book, who say to me, I've always wanted to write a book. And I always say, you should write a book. And then they say, I can't, it's too much work. (laughs) Like, you're right. It is a lot of work, but you can do it. Anyone can write a book if they sit down and apply the time and really do it. But it's a question of whether or not ultimately, as you said, someone will buy it, which is the other piece that that becomes a little complicated. And I think another nice thing about what you're doing, and I want to go back because I feel like we've skipped ahead to the end of your story, but it is so nice because in many ways you are demystifying the publishing industry, which is so opaque for so many people. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me. They're like, how do I get an agent? You know, I got my agent through my best friend who just happened to write a book and her agent agreed to represent me after I'd sent her a hundred different drafts of books that she didn't want. And she said things like, you have a book in you, it's just not this book, (laughs) which is my favorite thing to hear. So you were a stay-at-home mom for 11 years. And then you decided to launch a podcast. And in typical Zibby fashion, you always seem completely surprised when things are successful, which is the most (laughs) endearing thing about you. I mean, you were awarded at an event that I took an auction and you were standing there like, I cannot believe I won this award, but that's how everything seems to happen. On the outside looking in again, there's so much hard work that goes into it. And as you said, Kyle gave you the training wheels and you got on the bike. Let's talk about the podcast. You start off with one podcast. This is in 2018. Tell me what had happened by 2019, because this really tells a lot about you. How many podcasts did you put out by that point? 
let's see, I started doing one a week Mm -hmm. and that felt like a lot because I would slowly read the entire book and I would highlight and not that I'm not prepared now, but I prepare very differently now. I started with one a week and I gradually went up to two a week in 2018, 2019. So at least 50 a year, 52 a year, you know, at some point I went to two a week in 2019, but then in 2020, I was doing the podcast, but I was also doing a lot of in-person events and growing the brand. And I realized sort of early on that I had hit a nerve with what my, with like the whole concept of the show and how busy moms are. And I had also written this essay called A Mother's Right to Sanity, which had gone viral about how just overwhelmed and it's just, you know, how can we all manage all this? So I felt like I had like hit on something and I got very excited and I launched all these things that would go with it. So I tried like kids don't have time to read books. And I always like to try, maybe I'll try a subscription program. Maybe I'll try this. And, you know, I'm really not afraid to test things. Mm -hmm. I prefer to try, start really small and like test and test and then stop it versus like a lot of planning for years and then doing it. Like I want to feel it out in the market and then go back and, you know, make business around it. So I kept trying all these different things and I already had sort of like this website plan that I really wanted to do with original content, which has now become Zibby Mag, but has gone through several iterations. Again, not afraid to try, just always iterating based on data and all of that. But when the pandemic hit, I felt like I was in a really unique place to help because I wasn't a big publishing firm that was going to require all their hundreds of thousands of employees to slowly figure out their plan. I was like, it was me and maybe two people. And I was like, okay, all these books are coming out. I was tapped into all the publicists and I knew so well what it was like having a book come out. And I was like, I have to help. I couldn't help with the big things in life. I'm no scientist. I couldn't figure out a vaccine, but this I could do. This is how I could help. So I went to a daily podcast and figured I'd just do that for a couple of months. And I do it 365 days a year and have since March of 2020. This fall, I got three guest hosts to help me when I realized I had booked literally an inhuman amount. Like, <laughs> you know, I know, I did, even as you say that, I'm like, what if you don't feel well one of those days? I mean, that is a, that's a serious commitment. I don't do it live every day. Right. So I usually have a three or four in a day and then maybe one or maybe two, but I love it. I just love it. I don't want to scale back. Everyone's yeah. like, now that you're doing all these other things, are you going to not do seven days a week of the podcast? I'm like, you never know what, like these conversations are so amazing. I learned something every time and I love connecting with people and listening to people's stories. Like just doesn't get old. Well, because you have done so many and you are kind of the queen of podcasts and as someone who is a new podcaster, I know there are a lot of people who will be listening who have always wanted to start a podcast. Where do you start? Like, What advice would you give to someone who's starting out a podcast? I mean, not even just the growing, it just the simple act of like, where do you start? I mean, I Googled how to start a podcast. <laughs> That's how you start. I'm not even kidding. What is no. the easiest way to record a podcast from your phone? I didn't have a microphone or anything. And I found a place called Podbean and... I just recorded the first episode in my phone, like reading an essay I had written. So I Googled it. I had been very happy with Podbean for a long time. So I would recommend that. I've moved on after three years. I got picked up by a network called Acast and started selling ads. Now it's very profitable and that's really exciting, but it took forever. Everything was like Google and YouTube was how I learned how to do everything. How to do my settings on my microphone, the sound settings, I Googled sound editors and I... Figured it out. You figured it out. out. Yeah. Yeah. But that's nice to hear too, because again, I think a lot of people think it's sort of like a magic 
pill, but in fact, a lot of it is just stumbling your way through. And as you said, sort of throwing pain against the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So the moms don't have time to read books. Obviously, that brand flew and continues to fly in the podcast form. And then so many other things have come as a result of it. So can you talk me through, as someone who looks to you and watches what you're doing as you create this empire, what are the steps to building and scaling what you're doing right now? Like, where are you headed with this? Or do you even know right now? Where am I headed with it from this point forward? Well, in terms of the fact like right now you have podcasts and I'm just, I'm going off the top of my head of things that I can remember. So you have okay. Zippy books. I'll, I'll, I'll run it. I'll run <laughs> They're it. They're retreats. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Tell me everything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I start with the podcast. I did launch a podcast network also, originally called Zcast. Now I've renamed it Zippy Audio. So I have a few shows in my network that I tried to help that are author led. So that's one little bucket. We have a magazine called Zippy Mag and that is original essays by authors or writers, some book talk. We're doing visual features and all sorts of other fun stuff on there. I have the publishing company, so that takes up a lot of my time. And our books start coming out in February. Our first book is My What If Year by Alicia Fernandez Miranda. I should put you in touch with her. She would be great on the show. She's a CEO who decided at age 40 to try out internships in four industries she always wanted to try and wondered about what if. And what is your angle in terms of the books that you're choosing? Like, what are you looking for in those books? We are doing only memoir and fiction. Got it. Okay. And we're only doing 12 books a year. And I'm structuring each year, or we are structuring it like a year of reading. So if you were to only read our books, that's all you would need. So we'll do like a thriller and then a memoir and then like a lighter commercial fiction book and then a literary fiction novel and then maybe like a more funny collection of essays. And so basically to meet your appetite of all different types of reading. I hope there'll be a book bundle at the end so I can purchase those at the end of every year. That's a perfect holiday gift to myself and to everyone I know, for sure. Yes. And then there's the Zibby Retreats, which I love. Oh, sorry. Yes. We have Zibby Retreats. So we have one coming up in March at Canoe Place in Hampton Bays. We have a Charleston Retreat at the end of April and have to plan some more. I think we'll do one in California. I'm opening a bookstore in California called Zibby's Bookshop. That opens next month also, God willing. <laughs> and that's in Santa Monica. And again, a highly curated experience, author curated shelves, books I've loved. Just always about books. Like everything in your life is about Well, it's about books, books, but it's also about connection. And I know that's overused, but I really want it to be about the fun of books and the fun in connecting. So we're having, I don't want to call it like book tours we're doing for our authors. I want it to be like roving book parties. Yeah. <laughs> Come and join us and have fun. Like yeah. life is short. Like let's just celebrate how books bring us together. And books are just a way. Books are my way to have conversations with really interesting people every single day. Yeah. It's amazing, but it's not always about the book. It's about the people. And you did that even in New York. I mean, honestly, you've been putting together these salons since pretty much the beginning of your podcast, which is such an interesting way of looking at the book community. Because if you think about it, reading a book is actually quite isolating. I mean, you're getting the story and it doesn't feel isolating because you're in it. But if you look at someone who's reading a book, they're just sitting on a couch by themselves, right? They're on a chair. And you've put this amazing community around it. And I remember reading something that I thought was such an interesting way. You were talking about when you were first starting the podcast, you were talking about how you always wanted to meet the authors when you were little. And I actually had never thought about that beforehand. You know, you never really think about the person writing the book, but all of a sudden you put them front and center and you created this world where authors not only had a voice, but had the chance to sort of stand up and be seen, which is really exciting. Can you tell the story of the author that you corresponded with when you were younger? 
Yes. So my nickname is Zibby for Elizabeth and very rare, yeah. very rare name, obviously. And I was in a bookstore with my mom and she found this book called The Language of Goldfish by Zibby O'Neill. And she's like, it's another writer and another Zibby. And oh my gosh, we have to get in touch. Usually they came from me, but in yeah. that case, she was like, you have to get in touch. So I read the book. I loved it. I wrote her a letter. My mom helped me look up the address. We actually sent it to her care of her publisher in Michigan. And she wrote back. And not only did she write back on this beautiful blue stationery and like the script, I can just see the whole thing still. We started this whole pen pal relationship. And then she eventually came to New York City and took me out to tea at the plaza. Oh my gosh. Amazing. How yeah. amazing is that? What a, that's a real New York moment. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe I'm with a real author. To me, authors, I know rock stars overused also, but they are seriously my heroes. Like meeting someone like that was more exciting to me and remains more exciting to me than movie stars or something. I mean, that's cool and all, but this is so different. Like I just have such reverence for authors. So it's amazing because I do think the other thing that's so funny is we had a conversation about this, about, and actually this is what you ended up writing in Claim Your Confidence. When I asked, you know, which topic you would like to write on and you said imposter syndrome. And you talk about the fact that you never really felt like an author, even though you've written books before, that mantle still didn't feel real to you. And I wonder, does that feel real to you now that you have a book that's now out in the world? It's established, you're an author. When you see Zibby Owens, comma, author, does that feel real to you? It feels amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I edited two anthologies, Moms Don't Have Time To and Moms Don't Have Time To Have Kids. Then I wrote a children's book, Princess Charming. Then I had the memoir come out, bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. And now I have another novel coming out, which I just finished. So now at this point, I feel like I can, you can say, say you're that an author. Okay, author. good. But it <laughs> wasn't like it. at the very beginning. Yeah. I was always an aspiring author, but you know, I'm like, I want to be. I just didn't know if it was going to happen for me. I just felt like, yes, I could do it. And I was so frustrated because I knew I could do it. I just knew it. But I just wasn't sure it would happen for me. And I was trying to come to terms with that. Do you feel more confident now in your writing and your inability to be seen in the literary world now that you have written the books? Like, was it that you needed that stamp of approval to build your confidence? Because you did say that you do feel more confident now than you've ever felt. Like, do you think that was part of it as well? I think that I've actually gotten a lot better at both reading and writing. I didn't take more classes than I had, but I've now read more than a thousand books and have learned so much from that. And have gotten so much more writing practice. And so with the writing, as I did say, I was confident, but I feel like more confident now. I mean, I don't know. I just finished this draft and the person, I've only shown it to my mother so far and I'm like holding my breath. Like, what do you think? (laughs) Um, My mother and my editor. And I'm like, maybe I just won't show anyone. Maybe it's not good. (laughs) Just send it out into the world. Don't don't ask anyone's opinion. I, I wouldn't say I feel like you know, I still worry a lot, but I don't worry about essays. I've written so many essays. And so I feel good about that, but I haven't written as many novels, for instance. I feel confident that I can write from my heart. I can tell people what I'm thinking and feeling. And I realize that if I'm thinking and feeling it, other people are thinking and feeling it. And if I just put it out there, people are really grateful and maybe they don't feel comfortable saying it, but for whatever reason I do. And so that's just what I do. That's what you do. (laughs) In bookends, you know, you write a lot about the amount of loss that you had in your life. And you talk about your friend Stacy in great detail about losing her on 9-11. And then over the years that passed, 
the other people in your life who passed away, including your mother-in-law and your grandmother-in-law during COVID. And I remember watching all of that on social media and just being really stunned at how much you were dealing with at that point on top of so much else in the entire world and having four kids and your husband and his grief and all of those things. But you had this very interesting quote where you said something along the lines of, you know, the interesting thing about having lost so many people at this point in my life is that I've realized that life doesn't last forever. And, you know, I sometimes wonder, you move at such a fast clip. And I wonder if that's as a result of all of that loss or if this is just who you are on the inside because you really are nonstop. I mean, it's staggering to see how much you're doing on a day, on an average day. And I say that as somebody who, people say that about me. So (laughs) the fact that I'm saying that about you really should give you a sense of how in awe I am of the amount that you're able to produce. But I do wonder if that is part of the driver or where that drive comes from. I think it's both. I've always been super hardworking and super driven and staying up late to study and never being done and rewriting review sheets. And you know that's just who I am. I've just always been that way. And I've always had a lot of energy to do things like that. Now I also do feel like there's this ticking clock all the time. I like the hourglass is running out. Even when I play tennis, I was just telling this to Kyle who used to play tennis professionally and coached and taught and whatever. But I was like, when I'm playing tennis, sometimes I just think about like, well, how many balls am I gonna have left to hit? in my life. 50,000? Like, is it worth it wasting this stroke? I should pay attention to this stroke because now I only have 49,909. (laughs) What was his answer to that? Because that is... He thinks I'm nuts. (laughs) He just literally... I'm so... I I have this like morbid nature to me. I'm like always thinking about death, like all the time. It does fuel a lot of what I'm doing, but it's good. It gives me perspective on everything. Like after this event ends. Will I have wished I did it differently? Like I'm always (laughs) looking at it after and then making the decisions and the changes. So I feel like I'm fighting against time. The other day, I literally like turned to someone at work and I was like, if I die before these books come out, make sure the books come out. (laughs) I'm going to put it in my will. Make sure the books come out. Like they have to come out. What did that person say back? (laughs) She was like, why are you saying this? You're totally... I was like, I don't know. You just never know. I do feel that way. I think that anyone who's lost people, which is most people, but I don't know if it's earlier in a particular way or just whatever. You just sort of wake up, right? You wake up to a new reality. And I mean, I know you've gone through your accident and health crises. And I'm sure that that also does the same thing. I haven't gone through that myself. I've only watched other people or had these like sort of traumatic deaths and everything. But yeah, you just, you can't like turn the clock and go back and be like, oh, this is all fine. Yeah. I have this one girlfriend in LA who I adore. I did a big salon event there once. And afterwards she's like, you know, I think my life's just been too happy. I don't think I could be a writer. (laughs) It's (laughs) true. You do need some perspective and depth, don't you? (laughs) Nothing much is really bad that's (laughs) That has happened. I feel terrible about that. (laughs) She has a PhD. She's like amazing. Yeah. I have asked this before, but you know, when you look back over the course of your life, I think the confidence builders are the things that really test you. Those are the things that push you through. And those are also the things that make you realize how strong you are. So, you know, I have said to many people post-accident that it was a horrible accident, but it wasn't all bad. I learned a lot about my community. I learned a lot about my family. I learned about my my own strength and my ability to persevere and keep going. And unlike you, I had not had loss in my life. I had lost a friend in high school, but that was pretty much it. And my grandparents who were older, my parents are still alive. Luckily, my in-laws are still alive. And so I have not lost 
the people who I know over the course of my life, I will lose. And it is a very interesting thing to come on the other side of after our car accident to look towards the end of a life and realize that it does end and want to live life the way that you want to live it authentically and the life that you want to live and not the life that other people want you to live. And I found a lot of confidence in that. So I was interested as I was, especially even that you have love loss and literature in the title of your book. You know, a lot of people shy away from that topic. A lot of people are scared of it, but you're not. And you talk unabashedly throughout it. You talk about how books saved you through a lot of those things. And then you talk about love, which I think is so refreshing. So talk to me a little bit about Kyle, because I've met him. He is such a light. You met, he's been a huge part of your life, and you guys are doing this together. We really are. When we first got together, he was leaving a 12-year tennis career, and I was finding myself again after you know being at home for so long. And at first, and he was reminiscing about this the other day. He's like, remember on the weekends when we would like watch movies and maybe go to Soul Cycle? <laughs> and now I'm just like working all weekend all the time. And I'm like, oh, he's on my computer. It's so bad. I mean, we still spend time together, but it's not like, but the two of us have this great combination. He's ended up starting this great production company and has all these movies coming out and in all these different stages of development and has a whole team and his company's based in LA, which is partly why we spend a lot of time out there, but his whole career is really booming and using all his creativity and everything. And it's just so fun. I mean, he'll often be in the background when I'm on conference calls or something or whatever, not conference calls, you know, Zooms. And he'll like, you know, nod or be like, I think this. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. You know? So he's like- <laughs> good, good brain complimenting. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's um, So it's it's really nice. I mean, it's not like nothing's perfect. You know, we're still like a regular couple, you know, I don't want to mislead. We're like regular people, but I do really love him so much and I'm in love with him and it's, he's so great with my kids and I feel very, very lucky to be so sort of doted on and appreciated and seen. And I think that makes everything else feel like I can just conquer the world. Yeah. Having a great partner is a huge part of the equation. There is no doubt. And you are also a mom of four kids and you're building all of this empire and you have your four children. And how is that balance? What do you do? Give us some tips. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I know I hate this question when people ask me. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I work from home. So I have my whole company. Everybody comes here. <laughs> I'm like, come, I'll give you lunch. You know, with my kids. So literally, you know, my kids will come home from school. I have two kids now at boarding school. So that does, you know, make the day-to-day -day life easier. Although I feel like they're like never in school, but that's fine. <laughs> and my little kids, I'll go pick them up. I always like leave work to go pick them up. And everybody I work with knows like the kids come first and, you know, I'll pick up and call a camp program in the middle of like whatever, but they come in and sit at the dining room table where everybody's working. And, you know, my daughter will sit down and ask my colleague for help with math homework or whatever. It's so cute. So they're just a part of everything. Yeah. And anything I do, I show them. Like this morning I had to do something for 30 minutes before school. I didn't have time to make a nice breakfast. I was like, I have to finish this. It's really important. I have like four people to sign off on it. But like, what do you think? And you know, where should I put this logo? And what do you think about this in Canva? And all of this stuff. And, I, and they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I don't know either. Like, let's do it together. So, and then at the end, I'm like, you guys look at how great it came out. And then they take pride in that. So yeah, yeah. I try to do, here's the book I'm reading for the podcast or which book do you think I should read? So as opposed to, doing a job they don't totally understand. This is, for, is so, it's obviously very easy to understand given that everyone can understand the meaning of a book, but even all the other things, I just make them a big part of it. And I do it all from here so I can run upstairs and see them if you need to. Yeah. 
That's great. And I feel like that's such a great example to set. I mean, it's wonderful to see a mom who stayed at home for so long, thriving. It's such a great example for other moms who are at home who have ideas for businesses and want to try something. I think a lot of times people think it has to be an either or. And in this new world that we're living in, I think in many cases, it actually doesn't have to be either or anymore. It can really be a hybrid situation of your own making if you take the initiative to craft it, which you've clearly done. So I'm scared to ask what comes next because I feel like the answer would be a mile long, but... What comes next, Zibby? I mean, I have a lot of things about to launch. So mm-hmm. I really need to, I'm M, but like make sure those go well and that I have all the time and attention focused on the launch of each of our books this year. It's opening the bookstore. We just launched Zibby classes, which I'm really excited about. So we have, I think, 15 classes and people are signing up for those. So I want to make sure that platform goes well. We're continuing to do stuff with the magazine. And I have my own book. I just pitched another four books to my editor. <laughs> So the answer is nonstop. There is no stop. It is only more. (laughs) I'm like, there's just more. I know the other day I was like, what if I start like a writing school or like, what if I start a a residency program? Like, where can this go? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's the beauty of what you're doing is you're showing so many people that so many things are possible and truly you have claimed your confidence because without confidence, you wouldn't be doing any of this. Confidence in yourself, confidence in the authors who you're interviewing, and more importantly, just this incredible platform for people who have a voice and want either the written voice or the spoken voice to be heard. It's really remarkable to watch from the sidelines. I am cheering you on all the way. Where can we find you, Zibi? And the answer is obviously everywhere, but where do you want us to find you? <laughs> um, my Instagram is at Zibi Owens, and I post about really everything that goes on there. And from there, you can find all our other many Instagram accounts. I also recommend Zibi Mag to check out all the content there. Moms don't have time to read books, the podcast, and then you'll find everything. And my website is ZibiOwens.com. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on, Zibi. I know how busy your day is, so I appreciate you spending time with me. I want to thank all of the listeners who are tuning in again this week for Claim Your Confidence. You can follow along on at Lydia Finette on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where I'll be posting updates about upcoming guests. And I also podcast live out of the lobby of One Rockefeller Plaza in a glass front podcast booth, which sadly Zibi's not here, but I'll get her back here for another occasion. So please stop by the podcast booth and say hi, take a picture, and feel free to share on social. I want to give a special thanks to Newsstand Studios, Rockefeller Center, and especially Joe, who keeps everything running behind the scenes. And I want to leave you with one thing to think about, which is if you were to create something today, what would that look like? Go out there and do it. Let Zibby be your guide because she has certainly done it. It started with the podcast and I can't even imagine where it's going to end. But shoot me a DM and let me know what you want. I'll hold you accountable. And thank you again for tuning in to Claim Your Confidence. 